Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Supporters say a bill in the New York State Legislature for adult survivors of sexual abuse that's modeled after New York's Child Victims Act has a good chance of passage this year. The measure, if approved, might also place Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's facing multiple sexual harassment allegations, in an awkward position. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. My name is Marissa Hochstetter, and I am one of more than 200 women who have come forward to report abuse by the OBGYN Robert Haddon. Marissa Hochstetter says former Columbia University doctor Robert Haddon sexually abused her when he conducted routine medical exams during her pregnancy in 2010. In 2015, Haddon struck a plea deal with the Manhattan DA's office to give up his medical license, but he received no jail time and he did not have to be listed on New York's sex offender registry. At the time, 19 women had issued complaints against Haddon. But since then, the Me Too movement began and more than 180 women came forward to say that they were also subject to attempted sexual acts. New York has a 20-year statute of limitation for rape, but for other forms of forced sexual contact, it's only five years. The Adult Survivors Act would create a special one-year look-back window. It would allow New Yorkers who were sexually assaulted as adults to file a lawsuit against the person who harmed them, even if the statute of limitations has expired. They would also be able to file a civil suit against any institution, like a workplace, school, or house of worship, where the abuse took place. It's modeled after the 2019 Child Victims Act, which has resulted in 5,000 lawsuits being filed by survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Hochstetter says adults should have the same option. We are not asking the legislature to make any decisions on the merit of our case. We are simply asking for access to the courthouse, and I believe that should be granted. It is up to the survivor, if they want to, to pursue that. Hila Capel is a housing court judge in Brooklyn and a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. She says survivors do not always process trauma on a linear timeline. Sometimes it can take years before someone's ready to confront their abuser in court. She says even though she's very familiar with the justice system, she was nervous about pursuing action when the Child Victims Act provided the one-year look-back window in 2019 and 2020. It's not easy for me. It's terrifying for me. And so I imagine that for other folks who are not judges and who aren't in court every single day, it's got to be scary for them too. And society needs to appreciate that. Capel, who's running for election as a civil court judge, says she has faith in the justice system to hold abusers and the institutions that enabled them to account. She says the law can also serve another purpose, too, and that is to make would-be perpetrators think twice before they act. For people to realize this is not okay behavior. 
that's it. If it does that for just a portion of folks, I think that that's successful. If the measure is approved in both houses and goes to Governor Cuomo's desk to sign or veto, it could put the governor in an awkward position. New York Attorney General Tish James began an investigation after several women accused Cuomo of sexual harassment, including unwelcome hugging and kissing, and in one instance, touching a female staffer's breasts without her consent. Cuomo has not commented on the bill, but if he were to sign the measure, some of his accusers could have the opportunity to file a lawsuit against him. The governor denies the allegations. He says he didn't do anything wrong. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Former two-term Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino was in Plattsburgh this week as he kicked off his second run for governor of New York. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley was there and filed this report. Astorino is barnstorming upstate and stopped in front of Plattsburgh City Hall Tuesday afternoon. I'm here in Plattsburgh to announce that I'm officially running for governor of New York State, and I'm excited to do that. It is a great state. It is a big state. The North Country deserves better than what it's been getting out of Albany, and um, I'm in it to win it, and we will shock the world come next November. Astorino ran for governor in 2014, losing to Governor Andrew Cuomo by 14 points and says New York's economic status hasn't changed. We unfortunately are in dead last in all the wrong categories in economic outlook and job losses and, um, and people leaving this state. Our budget is so bloated and, and unfortunately to feed the beast they keep having to add taxes, which they do. That chases more people away, and we just continue that death spiral. So I ran in 2014. We gave Cuomo the the race of his life. And you know what? The political climate is going to be right. The issues are on our side. And we're going to have a very bold agenda on how to make this state great again and, and how to get it off of its knees and back on its feet. The Republican lists the economy, ethics and corruption, education, energy and the environment, social unrest and divisiveness as key issues. He says Cuomo is extraordinarily vulnerable in the 2022 election if the embattled Democrat seeks a fourth term. There's no question with all the corruption, with the um, federal investigations into the nursing home deaths and cover-up, Uh, into the Tappan Zee Bridge scandal, which is the Cuomo Bridge down in Westchester, Rockland. You know, the whole COVID situation has been a failure, I think, in many ways, you know, with the impeachment proceedings, potentially, with the sexual harassment. So I think politically he's in in peril. But it it honestly doesn't matter to me whether it's Andrew Cuomo or just another Democrat that's going to double down on the same bad policies that have put this state in the situation it's in. I'm running as much against Andrew Cuomo as I am against the failed policies and the corruption of New York, and it can be fixed. I did it in Westchester, and I'll do it in New York. Among other Republicans in the field, Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin and Lewis County Sheriff Michael Carpinelli. 
Considering a campaign are Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro, Andrew Giuliani, Central New York Congressman John Katko, and former Erie County Executive Joel Giambra. North Country Congresswoman Elise Stefanik also expressed an interest before her latest leadership opportunity in the House. Astorino says any Republican is more qualified than Governor Cuomo and his other fellow Democrats. I think I'm the most qualified because I've governed. I've been an executive in a very large county. Uh, I've dealt with a deficit. I've dealt with taxes. I've dealt with a hepatitis A outbreak, so public health. And I've dealt with big issues that worked and built an economy. And I did it in a bipartisan way. Astorino first announced his campaign Tuesday morning on WOR and WABC radio. He was in Albany before coming to Plattsburgh and then traveled to Watertown and Utica. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartalk. Alan? Well, we see now that a federal judge has dismissed the National Rifle Association's petition for bankruptcy, saying it was filed in bad faith in order to avoid litigation by New York Attorney General Letitia James' office, which has sued to dissolve the NRA for allegedly misusing charitable funds. Tuesday's decision, says CNN, means the NRA will not have bankruptcy protections. It also means that the NRA cannot reorganize in the state of Texas without approval from the New York Attorney General's office. Pretty precipitous fall for this organization. It is. Now, there's a couple of things at play here. One of them is the philosophy of the organization, but that's not what's going on here. What is going on, of course, is the leadership of that organization have been accused of some wrongdoing, and going to Texas may be an approach to get out of this. We don't know, but we do know that the courts, at least thus far, have made their ruling, and it looks real bad for the NRA. It can't but help the anti-NRA impetus that is in this country to recognize that people are being slaughtered senselessly again and again in this country and that gun is king. And that's the background for this action where the NRA is concerned. A once powerful organization is looking like it's going to have some real trouble. It may be because the leadership has taken advantage and there have been some serious accusations about the way in which the funds of the company have been used, but we'll see. A striking interview with Svante Myrick, Alan, it's your Capital Connection Terrific. program this week, mayor of Ithaca, African-American. You have quite the deep conversation about police reform, all these cities across New York coming up with reimagined policing. And you've always pointed out that one of the major problems is recruiting. And wasn't it striking to hear him tell us that they had already been dealing with this for six years, psychological screening of police officers, and they regularly, he said, screen out 75 percent of the applicants. 
You know, David, in the old days, and he made this point, somebody to get off the plane from having served in Afghanistan, being mustered out and applies for a police job and got it unquestioningly, that, he said, is not what we want. And they have rejected many of those folks because of the militarism that goes behind it. He's calling for teams of people, people who include social workers and others who can disarm if they have to without shooting. And it is a program that I hope everybody will listen to. Well, Alan, you know, one of the interesting things about the mayor's situation in Ithaca is, and he acknowledged this, he's in an overeducated area. He talked about Ithaca College and Cornell, and you pointed out how many people work there. He said at least half the population. But it is an upstate city, and it's not free of what we've been seeing. He noted that crime had been going down in Ithaca up until this past year. Well, yes, this is a terrible time for crime in the United States of America. We see it in New York City. We see it in Albany. There are outbreaks of people who are frustrated, who are angry, or who take advantage of a bad situation and commit crimes. Look, you have to have a police force to deal with that. The question then becomes, David, what kind of a police force? Is it a force that includes social workers? Is the first idea when you have an armed man to disarm him rather than to shoot him or her? In each of these cases, the police are playing a crucial role. So police reform is on everybody's lips, and it can be done, but it has to be done right. It can't be overdone. You can't take guns away from all policemen because it will just lead to a certain kind of chaos, and we know it. So uh, police reform is on everybody's lips. We want to make it happen, and now's the time to do it. Sure, and as an African-American, he had a couple of stories, very powerful stories to tell about his own experiences as a black man, including as mayor. And yet he was not interested and did not like the word defund the police, as you just suggested. He didn't want to take guns away from the police. But he did bring up something very interesting. It was the time that police officers spend doing things that result in no arrest. And he picked out six categories where this happens. He gave an example of someone gets a bike stolen and they have to go and fill out a report. And why couldn't this other group of people that you mentioned that would go out, handle some of these things so that the cops with the guns could deal with the real violence and the real crime where you need a cop. And these other groups could handle this other percentage of time where cops aren't being utilized perhaps more effectively. Well, first of all, let's remember that Ithaca is not exactly the rest of the state. You know, as you mentioned a few seconds ago, Ithaca has half the population is involved with the universities and education. So it's a highly educated population. In our little town of Great Barrington, where I live in Massachusetts, I know, David, that there have been problems with some people. And those cases, even though they have the potential for real danger, have a social worker on the team. It's time to start thinking about this. I remember when I worked at the New York City Police Department. I was at the John Jay College, and they gave me to the police commissioner. And I sat there, and I tried to get the deans of all the schools of social work to cooperate because at the time they didn't have enough placements for their, you have to have a supervised master's with a social worker. And I brought them all into the commissioner's office, and they commenced to fight with each other. Whose philosophy would hold? It never happened because they were, at the time, contentious and, worse than that, a bunch of jerks. Well... The first Republican has officially jumped into the race for governor, and it's for a second time. That's Rob Astorino, former Westchester County executive, the Republican. Alan? 
I mean, it's clear that he thinks that Cuomo is really vulnerable right now. and that You know, he had his chance and he didn't come close. Now uh, he has another chance, but he was defeated himself for his own elected leadership role at a much lower level. We'll see whether Cuomo is hurting so badly that a guy like Astorino is a good man, whether or not he gets a shot. There are others much more conservative than he, like Mr. Zeldin from Long Island, a Trumper, who are thinking that this is the time to jump in and to become the governor. And as George Pataki taught us so many years ago, you never know. And I guess we don't know exactly yet what seat we're going to lose in New York. I thought that was interesting that Mayor Marwick, again from Ithaca, said he thought it would be that congressional district. You don't know. You just don't know. Look, we have a supposed nonpartisan group that is supposed to figure this out. But in the, in the end, the Democratic legislature is going to have to agree with whatever that commission comes up with. And obviously, the strategy here will be for the Democrats to gain as much and lose as little as they possibly can. I'm fascinated by the fact that we have a North Country congresswoman who is now about to be the third most important Republican in the House of Representatives, Ms. Stefanik. And it is obvious that that North Country has population issues, even though they have a lot of area. So it's possible that that will be the seat that goes. Put together the two Republican congresswomen up there at each other's throats. So we'll see. Well, and a new law, a proposed new law, I should say, would tax Facebook, Google, and other companies for using your personal data. The latest effort from New York State Senator Andrew Gunardis, who has introduced the Data Economy Labor Compensation and Accountability Act, the proposal would enact the equivalent of a 2% tax on annual receipts earned off of the data of New York residents. Quote, data is here and is being used and commoditized and commercialized in ways that we as laypeople don't fully understand. Good idea? I suppose the theory of taxing it, you know, the idea that companies would use the data and all of the rest is not a bad one. I doubt that it's going to happen. I've always assumed, I don't know about you, David, but I've always assumed they've got my stuff and they're using it already. It's amazing how you go online and you look for something and then you start getting ads for that something. <laughs> Somebody's using it. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Shartok. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Public health and social justice organizations are calling for pharmacists to be allowed to administer all CDC-recommended vaccines. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas has more. The American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, NAACP New York State Conference, New York State Association of County Health Organizations, New York Public Health Association, and more than 20 other groups are urging lawmakers in Albany to pass legislation allowing pharmacists to administer all vaccines recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to anyone over the age of 18. Currently, state law allows for the administration of some vaccines, but not others. American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network Senior New York Government Relations Director Julie Hart. 
while the state previously took action allowing pharmacists to administer the COVID-19 vaccine, pharmacists are not able to administer all vaccines approved by the CDC, and this includes the HPV vaccine. Across the nation, nearly 35,000 men and women are diagnosed with cancers that are caused by HPV annually. HPV causes six different types of cancer. Now, imagine if we had a cancer vaccine. We do. The HPV vaccine can help prevent nearly 90% of HPV cancers. But unfortunately, New York is only one of two states that do not allow pharmacists to administer the HPV vaccine. Others include hepatitis and measles. Annette Gaudino is Director of Policy Strategy at the Treatment Action Group. New Yorkers across the state have trusted tens of thousands of pharmacy providers to deliver literally millions of COVID vaccines safely and effectively in the last several months. And we have absolutely no reports of adverse reactions to those vaccines that were related at all to where they got their vaccine, whether it be a pharmacy or another site. Um, pharmacies are literally around the corner. Um, they, with expanded hours and um, uh, easy access, they reduce travel time for individuals, whether you be in a rural area, um, and it just make uh, healthcare and the power the powerful prevention that comes with vaccines accessible to more. Lorraine Brathwhite Hart, New York State Conference Health Chair with the NAACP, agrees and adds the need for accessible vaccines is even greater in marginalized neighborhoods. NAACP believes that as a social justice issue, we have many in our community that are essential workers and essential workers as it stands, some of them are the working poor, and they cannot afford to take time off from their jobs, even an hour, to go in to see their primary physician and lose any time, any pay. So having vaccines, HPV, which prevents cancers, and hepatitis B, and other vaccines that the CDC has put out, the list of CDC-required adult vaccines available at local pharmacies in the communities, is a tremendous plus, and it will reduce the amount of illness in the black and brown community. Both Assembly and Senate versions of the bill are in committee and have bipartisan support. The measure was introduced by Senator Toby Ann Stavisky and Assemblywoman Alicia Hindman, both New York City Democrats, and is supported by Assemblyman John McDonald, a Cohoes Democrat and pharmacist. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. A cement plant in southern Albany County was recently prevented from burning tires and tire-derived fuel by New York State. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard explains. New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner Basil Segos announced Wednesday that DEC is modifying the Lafarge Cement Plant's Title V air permit to remove authorization to burn TDF. While Lafarge never did burn TDF, it was important to us to ensure they wouldn't moving forward. Uh, Lafarge never completed the necessary analysis to burn TDF. It also lacks the infrastructure to do so. New York State Senator Michelle Hinchy, a Democrat from the 46th District, welcomed the news. You know, I think that this is a great example of what can happen when you raise your voice. 
Local activists and residents in Queemans pushed the Albany County town to adopt a local law in 2019 aimed at restricting air pollutants, eventually approved by a split-town board 3-2. to two. At the time, opponents saw the approval of the Queemans Clean Air Law as politically motivated. The following year, under a new town board and town supervisor, Republican George McHugh, amendments were made to the law. At the time, McHugh expressed concern over the potential legal costs of the original law. At the same time, a push was underway to establish Albany County's Clean Air Act, signed by Democratic County Executive Dan McCoy in September. William Reinhardt, a Democratic County legislator from Slingerlands, believes DEC's decision Wednesday validates the county law. I do feel that, you know, on the whole, the the determination by DEC was there are too many unknowns here that we should not, you know, kind of like the um, do no harm principle. If we're not really sure what we're going to get from this, maybe we shouldn't go down that path. The county's Clean Air Act was developed amid other air quality concerns, notably around the Norlight incineration facility in Cohoes, which had contracted with the Defense Department to burn toxic firefighting foam. Again, Reinhardt. Even if you can potentially be, and making all kinds of assumptions about how the company doing the burning never violates any of its permits, which never seems to be the case, and that all of the equipment always works exactly as it's designed for and is always operating at the correct temperature and residence time and all of those technical parameters that are used to justify burning things, which, you know, those things hardly ever happen. Um, Even with all that, you still have some pollutants increase. Barbara Heinzen, a member of the Clean Air Coalition of Greater Ravina Quemans, told WAMC she was absolutely delighted with DEC's permitting decision, but warned it's not the end of the story, noting Lafarge's ability to appeal and reapply. In a statement to WAMC, Supervisor McHugh said in part, quote, The town board is committed to watching the situation very closely and appreciates the work of the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation in this regard. McHugh continues, saying the town board trusts the decision by DEC, quote, was made after carefully balancing the interests of local industry, the community, and the environment, end quote. Jocelyn Gerst, a spokeswoman for Lafarge Wholesome, told WAMC the company is reviewing the DEC's decision and is considering all its options. Last week, in an unrelated matter, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of New York announced a settlement in which the owners of the plant will pay an $850,000 civil penalty for past environmental violations. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2120. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.